Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Welcome to The Gathering Room. I'm Martha Beck. No, okay, I didn't do it right. Sorry, director. Welcome to The Gathering Room. I'm Martha Beck. They didn't see the goofy face. That's excellent. So now we can talk about today's topic. Today's topic is how to hang in there when you feel like giving up. And I, I expect that we have some folks who will chime in and, and send in questions about wanting to give up with a number on a number of things. Um, we just were planning to have family members come visit and we were trying and trying to think of a way to do it with social distancing and face masks and everything. And finally it just, it all fell through. And um, it was very, very disappointing. And I, I found myself waking up and just wanting to roll over and pull the covers over my head and go back to sleep, which is very unusual for me. So I thought, you know, here we all, and I get up every morning, I read the headlines and it's like, okay, it got worse again. All right, okay, it's worse. Again, more COVID cases, more deaths. Uh, they're finding people who got it are getting it again. And like, how bad can things get? I get one little, um, one little posting in my email that is positive news about COVID-19. And I'm like, yay, and I'll tell you a little bit about that later. But then there's all the, um, the racial oppression that's still going on and we're still hearing horrible stories about people being stopped from protesting and peaceful protests. And um, we're hearing about, you know, the impending economic collapse. And it's just, there are times when I just think, okay, I was ready for this for a couple of months, but seriously, still, we're what, five months in, six, going on six months in, and we don't know how much longer it will continue. And there are a lot of, I mean, I am, super duper aware of my own privilege and that I'm having an easy, easy, easy time compared to millions, billions of other people. And I just think, how do we keep going? And it reminds me a little bit of when I started getting serious about my meditation practice. And I said, I'm just going to sit here for, you know, a long time, a couple of hours was, it's still a long time for me to sit perfectly still for a couple of hours and just not think. And when I first started going over an hour every single day, I made this commitment I was going to do at least an hour every day for a year. And the first three months were unbearable. Um, there were whole weeks when all I was aware of was itching the whole time. I was like, I'm supposed to be feeling all enlightened and serene and all I can feel is the itch, the itch that I cannot scratch. And um, it took a long time for me to get to the point where I could stop letting itches get my attention. Eventually it did, but then the anxiety came up. And that kept things very exciting for the next few months. And it was, it would get worse and worse and worse. And it was just intolerable. But the thing about forcing yourself to do something like that as an exercise, and I'm not saying everyone should, it was just, I felt really strongly I wanted to do it. Like I desperately wanted it. And even when I was feeling like I was crazy going crazy I still like felt the commitment to it apparently we've all made some sort of if there is such thing as uh, a spiritual acquiescence we've all decided yeah we want to be a, a, on earth during this in, insane apocalyptic looking time and it, we want it to go on for a long period because that'll be awesome 
So that's with my meditation, here are the things that I noticed. I noticed how to keep going when you can't keep going, but you can't stop. I could have stopped. But there are things that you go through that you cannot stop. And so many of the circumstances around all of us right now are things that we can't stop. And we're all still experiencing loss, disappointment, and tons of fear and everything. It's a great time to practice hanging in. Now, the very first thing that started to allow me to be calm inside that set of circumstances is that I noticed that everything in nature pulses. Everything moves in and out. And it's, it's like everything has a, ry a rhythm. We're in a dualistic universe and everything alive has these electrical waves going through it and our heartbeats are always going back and forth. And what I found that was that if I started to pay attention, I could see that there were times of pressure, like I can't stand this anymore, and times of letting go. And then times when I would feel out of control and that was frightening and then it would pulse back in again. And then it would pulse back out again. And I realized, oh, everything is doing this. The moon is waxing and waning. The tides are waxing and waning. Everything is moving in this dualistic pattern. And there is something about, I've learned this from meditation teachers since then, but I noticed it first on my own. If you pay attention to the way things contract and recede, the way they push and pull, and you're really interested in it, for some reason, it becomes much, much more bearable. Because right as things crush in on you, like the, this morning I was like, oh, I, just, I just don't wanna get up. And it was a crushing feeling. And I thought, oh, this is the moment when it starts to recede. It always does. If you pay attention and you sit through it, the crushing feels like, okay, I can't stand it. And then it slowly recedes. And sure enough, um, it ended up that we canceled our visit, but it was like the, the crushing energy pulled way back and I got some, some relief. And I've learned to call this uh, the storm before the calm. I did, a, I think, a blog post on this once or maybe a something. I don't know. But I the whole concept of, they talk about the calm before the storm, like don't get complacent because things look great, but it's because they're going to be bad. I look at the opposite. When things are really, really bad and I say, wait, wait, this is the storm feeling. This is that crushing, overwhelming feeling. I know a calm is coming. And there's a quality to it that when I say that, oh, oh, this is the storm before the calm, it feels accurate, it feels right. And even though the storm is still pushing in on me, knowing that it's almost over is really, really, really helpful. I mean, I talk all the time about being present and staying in the present moment is what enables us to get through it. And that's really true. I recently underwent a fairly painful, unimportant procedure, but, um, when I was in slight pain, when I just focused on now, 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 the pain was never now. It was always just about to happen or it had just happened. And it was a really interesting thing to work with physical pain that way. But actually when I'm in the crushed feeling and I say, this is the storm before the calm, part of me is just going a little bit forward and saying, it's getting better. It's going to be okay. Okay. So noticing the push and pull of the anxiety, it may feel like there's just been this long stretch of bad news and lockdown and job loss and all the rest of it and racial oppression that's gone on for centuries, not just months. And it may just be uh, too much in this moment, 
But if you watch it go in and out, and you can remember it having gotten less and worse, it's almost like the whole cosmos is constantly trying to move us forward with a kind of peristalsis that just pushes us through life. So once you've got that feeling and you know, oh, this is a crushing day, but there will be a day of receiving, and then there will be a sense of loss of control, and that will frighten me, and then it will, then I'll feel things pushing back in. Then there are things you can do in each phase of the pushing and the pulling. So when things are crushing in on you, what you do is you let go of control of the situation. So like today I could feel, I was very anxious about our family visit. I felt like this was, something would go wrong. I, I, I just was jittery. And I knew that I was trying to control the situation. I was trying to think of all these measures to keep everybody safe and everything. That feeling of desperately wanting control means that I'm trying to attach to the situation and attachment is the source of suffering. So what I did was I just caved. I just let go of all control of the situation. I talked to all my dear ones and we all said, you know what, that wasn't such a great idea. And we let go. And it was disappointing. And I was like, Ugh. but immediately the crushing sensation stopped and the circumstance didn't feel as onerous because I'd stopped trying to control it. So then when things start to recede and they pull outward, what happens is something like, okay, you thought you'd have your job back after a few months, but now it's looking like, you know, they aren't going to go back. Everything's different. I was just reading all the subway systems are shutting down all over the world because nobody's using them anymore. A whole bunch of jobs are going there. The world is not going to go back to the, exactly the way it was before the pandemic, not to mention all the other social changes that are going on. So when things seem to be falling away from you and you want to grasp them, that's time. That's the time when you let go of yourself. You let go of needing to be the person that took the subway, of, of just being the person that took the subway. You let go of being the gracious hostess that wants people to come stay at your house. You let go of the plans you've had. You let go of the identity was, that was based around those activities. So everything's changing around you and paradoxically what you let go of is the identity that was attached to the way things were. So you are not the same person anymore. So they say no one can ever step in the same river twice because it's always, the water's always moving. So the circumstance cannot be controlled. But I've also heard people say, you can't step into a river twice as the same person because you are also in a constant state of flowing and going forward. So I wanted to, to just put it to you, look back, try this little experiment. If you text your friends or family, for example, or if you email, go back on email threads or text threads that have been going on for a long time with your best friends, with your family, whoever you connect with the most, go back and read them as they get back further back in time and read the ones that you wrote just before the pandemic started or just before the Black Lives Matter movement really picked up and, and got, its, got full steam. You'll see a different person. I sure do. I see a completely different person five months ago, three months ago, even a week ago. I'm changing all the time. And I'm changing faster because of these incredible pressures that are on us. So I need to let go of the person I was. And that's a form of death. You actually have to let yourself die and die and die and then be reborn as the next person. 
So when things are crushing in, you let go of control of the situation. When things are pulling out and abandoning you, you let go of your identity. You may have heard me say this before, when they look at the brains of people who are in an enlightened state, there are two areas of the brain that have gone completely silent. And those two areas are the part that has a sense of control and the part that has a sense of self. So if you're forced to let go of control and go, all right, let it be as it is, and you're forced to let go of self, I'll never be that person again. And it goes on and on, pulse after pulse, because that's how things move forward. It's like you're on an accelerated course toward awakening. And people whose brains have gone quiet in that way live in a state of perpetual joy and compassion and peace. It's what we all want. And we're all being moved toward it. I, I told you there was going to be some good news. And here's the good news that I read. And it made me think about, about all this. Some doctors went, um, they went away for vacation after, you know, being worked to, almost to death during the initial surge of the coronavirus. Then they came back to their hospitals and one doctor got worried because they didn't, they hadn't reordered this special formula that they use for premature babies. And he said, why isn't this in stock? And they said, we didn't need it. There were no premature babies born while you were gone. And he was like, what? Because there's always a certain number of preemies coming along. And even though we can keep them alive often, it, it can really mess them up. So it's a very, very, serious thing to have a premature birth. Well, this guy started doing research and he called colleagues all around the world and they're putting it together into formal research. But bottom line is where he's looked at it all over Europe and the United States, premature births dropped by almost 90% since the beginning of the pandemic and no one knows why. But what they think is simply that the pace of the life we were living doesn't work with our natural biorhythms. They said, here's what we know. These women are resting more. They're not commuting. They're not sitting at offices eight hours a day. They're not on their feet as much. We know they're getting more sleep because there's nowhere to go. And we know their families are around them most of the time. I, if you're one of the people who's by yourself, I am right there with you in spirit. But a lot of people are lucky enough to have family around them. And those three things, less activity, more sleep and more connection with pe other people in your physical surroundings managed to drop this very significant problem dramatically. And I was thinking about how birth is a pro process of crushing and releasing and crushing and releasing and it forces the baby out into the world. And it's as if we're going through that right now with the forces that keep weighing in on us. So if you just feel like you can't hang in there, think of yourself as a baby being born. You don't actually have that much control over the situation or over yourself. You have the bracing that comes from pretending you have control over the situation or yourself. And as you drop those, because you cannot hang in anymore, you just say, I surrender to the circumstance, I'm not gonna try to control it, no or I surrender to the loss of my identity. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm not the person I was. And as you surrender those two things, you start to awaken. You start to find that you have a little more, a little more steam to go into the next push, the next pull, and the rhythm of it becomes something that you can feel underlying your whole experience as a form of 
bringing you a new version of you into this world. So that's what I've been doing. And it's actually been helping a lot to think of, let go of self, let go of control. So if there are any questions. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. I see that Anne has asked one. She says, how can a person who is considered the rock of Gibraltar deal with a serious downside while being there for family and close friends? Any suggestions? There's something you can do and that is stop being the rock of Gibraltar. That's an identity. And what I've seen is that the circumstances are crushing those identities out of us. They're social usually, they, they're the way we present to other people and sometimes to ourselves. But somebody could come in and you just say, you know what, I'm a mess. I am not the rock of Gibraltar today. I am a complete puddle. And then the person might go, but you're the one who always cheers us up. And they'll say, I'm sorry, I'm a puddle. I can't do it. Can't control the circumstances, can't hold myself together. What may happen then in family systems theory they talk about how when a family member takes one role and holds it always, that can create this sort of locked in role assignment. And it's not actually as healthy as letting people move back and forth between functions in the, in the social system. So you say, I'm not the rock of Gibraltar, I can't do it. The other person might, pa might panic for a minute and then they might realize, oh, there's a part of me that can pull it together for her or for him or for them. You know, there's a, there, there's a resource in me that I haven't explored because I had a rock of Gibraltar. If I don't have that, maybe I can, maybe I can become someone that I, with more resources, with more joy, more fun, more strength. Alexa says, hi Alexa, how do you hang in when you are diving deeper into healing work and nightmares and flashbacks of wor or worse, or in the flashbacks get worse? along with the feelings of loneliness, hopelessness, and despair. Just when you think you're moving forward, it's 20 steps back. It's, honey, it's never 20 steps back. The feeling of going, this is why in my coaching system, uh, we talk about change as a cycle. And the first stage of the cycle is what we call square one. And I almost called my first book On to Square One. Because in our culture, we, we think we're supposed to feel bad and clumsy and small. And then in a linear pattern, we get better and more and happier and stronger. And we just go upward for our whole lives and we never go back. And if we go back, it's back to square one and it's a bad thing. That's not how it works. Every time you go into a new phase of grieving, into a new phase of post-traumatic stress recovery, you're actually moving forward by learning to cope with the suffering. So again, watch it closely. It is not just back to square one, you know, one step forward, 20 steps back. It's a pushing and a relaxing, a pushing and a relaxing. And those crushing forces are intense. They are breaking you. So when you're in that state of, of you know, being really crushed, 
you let go of control of the situation and you do what it takes to get through. You have your phone list of people you call. You have your little stack of books that can keep you sane while you're going through. I, I went through that for years. You have the songs that you can play to get you through. You have practices like meditation or walking outside or whatever it is. And you realize you are not going back. You're always going forward. It's just that the push of it can be very, very intense. But you're always moving forward. Um, Donna says, I do see a different person. How do you help others see you're a different person? I notice that those, those I live, I'm sorry, I'm having a trouble reading this. Oh, there we go. That those I have infrequent contact with are still seeing the me before the Black Lives Matter and the pandemic, and I'm so not the same. You can just say, I'm not the same, or you can realize, oh, they're part of a circumstance that is part of the crushing force, and you can just sit there and go, I'm gonna let go of trying to control them. They can see me as the same person. Just one thing I like to say to people, and I said this, um, and I've said this repeatedly, and I'll say it again, specifically about the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, I am going to change the way I am in the world, the way I am in my business. It's not as fast as I want it to be. Some things in my business take a long time to like reconfigure, but watch. And then they'll say, well, we don't see anything yet. And I say, watch. And within a few years, because I, I really commit to stuff and I, I try to live in, in my integrity and I really do change. So if people think you haven't changed, just relax, stop trying to control them. And if you want to say anything to them, just say, hmm, watch. I'm not the same, watch. Okay, Lynette says, it makes me wonder what other positive things are resulting from us, from this. We only see the bad news. Yeah, I mean, I really think, I said this last week that I've been waiting for a transformation of consciousness my whole life. And I know that it, it can't just be my consciousness that transforms if we're going to save ourselves as a species on the planet. It has to be a lot of humans. And the disruption of the self is what is necessary for the creation of something new. I've been watching a lot of um, a lot of amazing minds. I mean, like I feel like I'm in graduate school again because I go online and I read these books from these incredible thinkers who have suffered racial oppression and their moral reasoning levels are so high. Um, it's just incredibly impressive to me. And as I, as I um, absorb that and I see other people, other white privileged people finally focusing on it, finally absorbing it, it's like, my God, if a pandemic hadn't disrupted this, if there hadn't been so much political weirdness in our culture, if we weren't really disrupted, I don't know if I would have cracked open as, as far as I have to be able to intake the really high level thinking and, and wisdom of people who've been through things that I've never been through. So I think there are massive positive things coming out of all these transformations. And the whole, that's why I compare it to birth. Like the whole world is going to have this sort of birth experience of pushing the contraction that pushes you into the new form and then the relaxation that allows the the system as it is to just take a breath and then crush forward again violent not pleasant emotionally but all of it could be positive in retrospect i think it all will be okay Anne maria says 
Oh, Anne Marie says, I love the idea of becoming a new version of myself. How do I let go of expectations and hopes for the person I want to be so that I can just let it happen? Yeah, if you try to force yourself to let go of a hope or an expectation, what will happen is that it will push back. Your hopes and expectations are there because they want to live. So if you say, okay, I'm going to let you go so I won't suffer from the loss of you, they hang on tighter. So what you do is you allow your hopes and your expectations. You allow them to be what they are, and then when they aren't fulfilled, when some of them aren't fulfilled, you let go of the, the person who thought they would happen, and it hurts. It's called the grieving process. Every loss puts us into grieving. First denial, then bargaining, then sadness, then anger, then acceptance. I went through that whole thing with this little incident with, with a family visit. The denial and bargaining went on for a long time, and that's okay. The hopes and expectations went on for a long time, and then when I finally let go, it was into the grieving cycle, into the sadness, into the anger that we couldn't have what we wanted, and on to acceptance. And that once you've accepted that you can handle that, that you can handle the grieving process, and that it always moves you forward and heals you, we can't actually speed up that process, but we can stop it by bracing against it. We can we stop in the middle of it. And then we're like a birth that's stuck halfway through where mom and baby don't do so well. But if we can realize, okay, this is how it feels, this grieving, then when you get a hope and expectation, you go, okay, I may have to grieve the loss of this, but I'm going to enjoy it right now. I'm gonna enjoy the hope and enjoy the expectation. And then if it doesn't come true, I'll grieve, and then I'll be able to enjoy things more than ever on the other side. That's the thing, completing the grieving cycle makes us more able to be joyful on the other side. So there's a net gain. There's always a net gain. Um, Jules says, reminds me of Breaking Bad where Walter White says, I am the storm. Oh, but this is so good. Jules says, I am the calm. <sighs> She says, holy well, and I could not agree more. I mean, that is a mic drop moment, Jules. I am the calm. I, I wrote that in my novel, Diana herself, the, the guy who's supposed to be the, who's the villain. There's a place where she runs into a, a dark cave to get away from him, and he screams into the cave. You think his name is Roy Richards because it means king of dicks. And that's not a swear word, it's just a name. But he screams into the dark. You think Roy Richards is afraid of the dark? I am the dark. But I never thought of I am the calm. I am the light. I am the change I want to see in the world. Wow, that right there, Jules, gives me more motivation to let go of self and let go of control of circumstance than anything that I've ever seen. I'm going to put it on my wall. I am the calm. Beautiful. So Deb says, how do you stop the roller coaster? Storm, calm, storm, calm, I want more calm. Well, you signed up for the wrong planet, my dear. It's, it, the dualistic universe never stops pulsing. I'll tell you when a heart finally comes to rest, when it's dead. <laughs> Until, as long as spirit animates matter, there's a, contraction and a release, contraction and a release, and it's in everything. It's in your thought process, it's in, your, it's in every physiological process, it's in pain, it's in, in pandemics, it's in everything. So 
Learning to love roller coasters is kind of your only option. And the way to do that is when it's going down, let go of self. And when it's going up and the fear is mounting, let go of control. And you'll find yourself not just being okay in it, but actually awakening. Remember what I said about the brain state of an enlightened person is somebody who's been through it so many times that they've let go of those things permanently. And it becomes a brain state and they live in bliss. And I'm not living that way, but I'm a lot closer than I used to be. It works. So Amy says, teetering between despair and hope. How can I trust that what's happening in the US will work out okay? It's actually not your purview to know what's happening in the US. You actually have to come down to this person, this body. And when you're saying what will happen in the US, that is trying to control an external circumstance. And we don't know. It's scaring the hell out of me, I'll tell you. As a sociologist, the political climate right now is extremely unnerving. And I can't control all of it. I control my little bit of it. I can vote. I can do my activist part as an individual. But then I have to let go. I have to let go. So the, the point stands. Last comment, when the old self has died due to violence of circumstance, what can we do to feel safe enough and willing for a new identity to emerge? Um, the first thing is to grieve and not resist grieving, not resist the nightmares, not resist the fear. Reach out to other people, rest more, sleep more, depend on other people more so that the birth goes the way nature wants it to go. And then in the middle of all that, I have totally stolen Jules line, sit in the middle of it and say, as this goes up and I'm scared to death, I'm going to let go of control of the circumstance. As it goes down and I think I'm going to die, I'm going to let go of myself. And as long as that goes, I'm going to watch it from the part of me that's to the side of the roller coaster, roller coaster. the consciousness that's not involved in the ups and downs of physical life. And I'm going to sit there watching my mortal self go up and down, screaming and yelling. And I'm just going to remind myself over and over, I am the calm. So thank you for joining me here. I hope that you're having a day where it's not hard to go forward. But I'm very grateful for you joining me here because it makes me feel like I've got a jolt of energy to keep going on. My father wanted to quit. And now I'm right here. And I'll see you again next week on The Gathering Room. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. 
It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us.